Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 15 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. Monday, August 23rd, 2010. Officers from the Central London Police Force visited the home of Gareth Williams at his top-floor flat on Alderney Street in Pimlico, London. Gareth had been working as a communications officer at the Government Communications Headquarters in Cheltenham. The cipher and codes expert was seconded to the Secret Intelligence Service Headquarters on the bank of the Thames, around half a mile from his home. When Gareth didn't turn up for work, his colleagues made attempts to track him down However, when that failed, the authorities were notified. Police arrived at Gareth's home, and after receiving no response, they broke down the front door of his flat. They spotted a mobile phone and SIM cards laid out on a tabletop. As they entered the bathroom, they noticed a large red North Face sports bag in the bath. They unzipped the padlocked bag, and Gareth's decomposing body was found inside. But how did it get there? Did Gareth lock himself inside, or had he been murdered and his body placed there? Gareth Wynne Williams was born on September 26, 1978. He was raised by Mother Ellen and Father Ian in Anglesey, an island off the northwest coast of Wales. Gareth attended Bododon Secondary School and was described by Sister Kerry as the perfect big brother who always provided support and advice. Both family and colleagues stressed that he was incredibly talented. An academically gifted child, at only 10 years old he was transferred to secondary school two years ahead of his peers. One of his former maths teachers told the Guardian newspaper he had done his GCSEs at primary school and got a B at an immediate level. He took the higher level GCSE in a couple of months and got an A. It was a problem for us. What could we do with him? We got him to follow A-levels and he did A-level maths and computer science in the third form. He achieved A's in them. That was a big problem because he was still only 13 so we contacted Bangor University and he followed the first year of a maths degree course. By 17... Gareth had already completed his university studies while at secondary school and graduated with a first-class degree in maths from Bangor University. He was passionate about film, music, theatre and fashion. He was physically fit, enjoyed outdoor activities and his sister Kerry said he was happiest in the mountains. Gareth was a keen cyclist and during his late teens joined the Hollyhead Cycling Club in Anglesey. 
At 21, he was recruited by GCHQ. Otherwise known as the Government Communications Headquarters, the UK Security and Intelligence Agency is famed for the code-breaking activity that took place at Bletchley Park during World War II. Gareth spent a year working with the cryptology team and then five more years working on advanced maths and number theory. At 27, he was working alongside a technical operations team using the problem-solving techniques he had developed, and four years later, during 2009, he won the Mary Church Award in recognition of significant achievement in cryptic analysis. He excelled, and it looked like he had a very promising career ahead of him. Gareth never discussed his job with his family or friends, and they knew not to ask. In 2009, after being headhunted, Gareth was seconded to MI6, otherwise known as the Secret Intelligence Service. He moved to a flat which belonged to the Secretary of State, however the property had previously been owned by a company registered in the British Virgin Islands. Gareth only allowed people who had been securely vetted to visit the property and under no circumstances would he ever lend a set of keys to anyone. He lived a quiet life, focusing on his job more than socialising. One co-worker compared him to a Swiss clock because Gareth was always punctual and efficient. Despite working in a highly desirable role for the government, Gareth was unhappy with the amount of red tape he encountered during his time with MI6. So in April of 2010, he applied to be transferred back to GCHQ. His request was approved and would be completed by September 1st, 2010. Gareth was in the process of packing his things ready to go back to his old role and return to the countryside he loved. On August 16th, Gareth was due to chair a meeting at work, however didn't arrive. His decomposing body was found at 4.40pm on August 23rd in a North Face sports bag. A man who's believed to have been a UK spy has been found dead in a flat near the headquarters of MI6. His body was found on Monday afternoon at an upmarket property in the central London district of Pimlico. It's understood the corpse was stuffed into a bag and left in the bathroom. Scotland Yard's launched a murder investigation but has so far declined to comment on reports the victim worked for GCHQ. That's the government's intelligence information agency based in Cheltenham. Police say they are looking into several leads. The man's yet to be formally identified and a post-mortem examination's being conducted today. Despite the limited information at the time, there was speculation surrounding the circumstances of Gareth's death with reports suggesting his body had been cut into pieces. In the official police dispatch for that day, the CAD, officers said they found what appeared to be a torso in the bag, a body whose head, arms and legs may have been removed. Now, officers didn't touch the body, so they weren't sure, but one said the apparent murder was a neat job, a phrase used by police for a professional killing. It is believed that Gareth Williams died on August 16, 2010. He was reported missing after he didn't show up for work, so a welfare check was completed at Gareth's rented flat. When PC John Gallagher arrived at the scene, he didn't receive a response, so the front door was knocked down. PC Gallagher searched the flat, which looked remarkably tidy. Throughout the property, the constable noted a woman's wig, a laptop, a mobile phone, two SIM cards and what would later be confirmed as £20,000 worth of women's designer clothes. When the constable entered the bathroom, the first thing he noticed was the absence of any toiletries. A large red North Face holdall had been placed in the bath. The bag had two zips which looked to have been padlocked together. Noticing a bulge in the holdall, PC Gallagher lifted the heavy bag about six to seven inches in the air before he realised a red liquid was seeping from the underside. When the bag was finally opened, Gareth Williams' naked body was found inside. Gareth's parents were on holiday visiting America and Canada when they were notified of their son's death. 
Head of Scotland Yard's Homicide Unit, Detective Chief Superintendent Hamish Campbell was aware of Gareth's role at MI6 and the implications that would have. A chain of command would need to be followed and this spurred a conversation between the counter-terrorism unit and the homicide detectives. While the secret intelligence service would be assisted at senior level, homicide officers would be leading the investigation. At the time, officers investigating the death were unaware of any independent investigations that MI6 might have been carrying out. On August 26th, Gareth's parents identified his body and a post-mortem was completed. The results were inconclusive. A spokesman for the Metropolitan Police stated, a post-mortem examination at Westminster Mortuary was unable to provide a cause of death and further tests will take place. Additional testing was carried out, but no traces of drugs or alcohol were found in Gareth's system. The Metropolitan Police, who were following several lines of inquiry, declined to confirm Gareth's occupation, however classified his death as suspicious and unexplained. The British Foreign and Commonwealth Office issued a statement which said, This is a police matter. It is long-standing Her Majesty's Government policy not to confirm or deny any individual working for the intelligence agencies. The public was urged to call the incident room or Crime Stoppers if they had any information that may aid police in their investigation. William Hughes, Gareth's uncle, spoke to the press about Gareth. He was always a quiet person. He was from a young age. I knew he worked at GCHQ and he had been working in London, but I didn't know what he did. It wasn't said that we shouldn't talk about it. I simply never asked and he never told me. Childhood friend of Gareth's, Dylan Parry, who attended secondary school with him, said he was the kind of person who found it difficult to engage with people on a normal level. It was clear he was going to go far, but we all assumed he would end up in academia. Finding out he became a spy was a shock. As the investigation progressed, officers believed that Gareth would have likely known his killer as there hadn't been any signs of forced entry into his flat. The press speculated his death may have been linked to his secretive line of work. Detectives believed it was more likely tied to his private life. Footage from CCTV cameras was analysed, along with Gareth's bank records. A funeral service for Gareth Williams was held on Friday, September 24, 2010 at Bethel Methodist Chapel in Anglesey. The service was attended by Gareth's friends and family, along with the head of MI6, Sir John Sawyers, who said, Gareth was a hugely talented person and he was very modest and generous as well. He did really valuable work with us in the cause of national security. Despite a detailed investigation, a concrete answer to how Gareth Williams died could not be found. The police were attempting to track down a couple who visited the communal area of Gareth's flat a month or two before he died. Investigating officers were of the belief that they had a key to the property. The pair were casually clothed and looked to be of Mediterranean appearance. An e-fit was issued and Detective Chief Inspector Jackie Sabir appealed to the public for more information. The other um, important appeal that I'm making today is to try and trace a Mediterranean couple, um, a male and female, who we know visited 36 Alderney Street, probably in June or July this year. Um, they came into the communal entrance and I'm really keen if they could come forward, come and speak to me, so they can be eliminated from the inquiry. Police had pieced together Gareth's last known movements but were not any closer to understanding the circumstances of his death. During the summer of 2010, Gareth Williams had been out of the country on a work trip to the west coast of the United States and returned to the UK on August 11th. He was spotted via CCTV cameras shopping in Selfridges in London that same day and on August 12th he was seen shopping in Harvey Nichols and travelling to his office. The following day, Gareth made his way to Bethnal Green to attend a comedy club event which featured Johnny Wu, a British actor, comedian and drag queen. On August 14th, Gareth was seen at Holland Park Tube Station and then went on to shop at Fortnum and Mason, an upmarket department store. The last time he was spotted was August 15th when he was captured on CCTV shopping at Harrods 
another luxury department store before buying some steak in Waitrose and returning to his flat in Pimlico that afternoon. After a protracted investigation throughout 2011, news outlets were rife with theories regarding the circumstances of Gareth's death, ranging from a connection to the Russian Mafia to a jealous lover locking him in the holdall, but no one could solve the riddle of how his life came to an end. As the investigation into Gareth's death stretched over 20 months, an inquest was to be held in 2012 to try and understand how he died. It emerged that there had been a number of leads the police followed which had turned out to be dead ends. A Mediterranean-looking couple the police had sought turned out to have no links to Gareth or his death. There had also been a spot of DNA found on Gareth's hand when his body was discovered. However, it was later identified during February 2012 that the DNA belonged to a forensic scientist working the crime scene. DCI Jackie Sabir, lead detective in the case, admitted that the mistake had been costly, both financially and emotionally, as 60 of Gareth's family, friends and co-workers had been tested to eliminate them from the inquiry. The coroner for Westminster, Dr Fiona Wilcox, described the death as highly controversial, explaining that extensive testing had been completed on Gareth's body during the post-mortem, however they could not identify how he died. Police initially believed it was impossible for him to lock himself in the sports bag. Some of the exhibits that were to be presented in the inquest would need to be shielded from the media, along with a number of witnesses, as there could be a risk to national security and public relations if they are identified. The coroner requested that there be a practical demonstration of how Gareth might have locked himself in the holdall after Vincent Williams, a lawyer for the Metropolitan Police, said that it would have been very difficult, if not impossible, to lock the bag from the inside. A lawyer for the Williams family demanded that the inquest establish why there was no evidence of another individual present at Gareth's flat during the time of his death if police believed it impossible for him to lock himself inside the holdall. The lawyer, Anthony O'Toole, told the pre-inquest review, the impression of the family is that the unknown third party was a member of some agency specialising in the dark arts of the secret services, or evidence had been removed post-mortem by experts in those dark arts. He added, in our submission to properly explore the circumstances of the death, we need to establish the deceased's work. During the opening day of the inquest, on Monday, April 23, 2012, Metropolitan Police lawyer Vincent Williams explained that charging someone for the death was a real possibility. However, police had tried to block the coroner from releasing video footage that could be key to a prosecution. He told Westminster Coroner's Court, It is because there is a live, complex, ongoing investigation taking place. It is because there may be criminal proceedings further down the line that the Commissioner feels that the pattern of disclosure has to be done with some care. Gareth's sister gave evidence at the inquest and spoke very highly of Gareth, stating, In terms of a big brother figure, Gareth was perfect. She added, It was impossible to do justice to Gareth's impressive character without meeting him. Gareth's sister Carrie went on to say that Gareth had been complaining that he wasn't happy in his role working for MI6 a week before his death. Although the details were sparse, his sister stated he disliked office culture, post-work drinks, flash car competitions and the rat race. He even spoke of friction in the office. Despite his unhappiness, Gareth never mentioned he felt threatened or that anyone may have been after him. Gareth's sister said, I cannot think as to why anybody would want to harm him. She was asked if she was curious about the value of the women's clothes found at his flat. However, she said she wasn't, and he was a very generous person, and it was most likely a gift. Along with the women's clothes, SIM cards, a computer, and nine memory sticks had also been discovered amongst Gareth's possessions. These memory sticks were examined by the Secret Intelligence Service for any potentially sensitive information, however they were never returned to the investigating officers.
On the second day of the inquest, the court was informed that a detailed forensic examination of one of the cord toggles on the sports bag highlighted two minor components of another contributor's DNA, as well as a tiny spot of blood on the fabric which belonged to Gareth Williams. Further bloodstains, invisible to the naked eye, were found on the outside of the holdall, and also a small spot of dried blood was discovered on the carpet near the stairs. Both samples belonged to Gareth. Two partial shoe prints were discovered in the kitchen, but were too small to identify a size. There was no evidence that the bag or bathroom had been cleaned with bleach or any other cleaning agent, and there were no prints on the bathroom tiles next to the bath, suggesting that Gareth had not balanced himself against the wall if he had put himself in the bag. The inquest was then shown how the investigators believed the bag was zipped closed and then locked. The holdall zips were pulled tightly together, with a Yale lock placed neatly through both eyelets and the padlock was then closed. Gareth's body was curled into a fetal position, knees tucked to his chest and his back curved forward. A laser-scanned image of his body in the bag was shown to the court. His arms were placed on his chest and his fingers and nails showed no signs of damage. The fabric on the inside of the bag also showed no signs of tearing and two sets of keys to the padlock had been placed under Gareth's right buttock. Detective Chief Inspector Jackie Sabir told the court his facial expressions and position of his body were very calm. She stated, My thought or opinion was that a third party had been involved in the death or getting the bag into the bath. While she admitted there is unlikely to be any further forensic discoveries, the Detective Chief Inspector added, No stone has been unturned. I've tried to do everything I can to understand what happened. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand, and now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. Gareth's top floor flat was described as being immaculately tidy, and a video of the apartment showed a wig, bright orange and yellow 
hanging on a chair along with a stocking cap which would be used underneath the wig to conceal hair. The wig had been purchased in America where Gareth had recently returned from work on August 11th. His bedroom was filled with boxes that were neatly packed along with four yellow North Face holdalls, the same brand as the one his body was found in. The bags contained designer women's clothes, both small and medium in size, which were of considerable value and had been carefully wrapped in tissue paper. Unused lipstick, foundation, nail varnish, eyeshadow and concealer were also discovered, along with 26 pairs of women's shoes, sized between a six and a six and a half. They ranged in price with one pair costing approximately £1,000. Four of the pairs appeared to have been worn. Male underwear, a pair of chino trousers and some t-shirts had been placed on Gareth's bed. All the clothing on the bed was ironed and neatly folded. The only thing that seemed out of place in the immaculately kept bedroom was the duvet which had been left half on the bed and half on the floor. Gareth's childhood sweetheart, Sean Jones, was questioned during the inquest. The fashion stylist had lived in London for many years before she moved back home to North Wales in January 2010. Sean Jones said that she had remained friends with Gareth and although they were no longer romantically involved, they continued to be close and saw each other often. Sean was directly asked if she believed that Gareth was a transvestite, but she replied strongly, no, not at all. As the two confided in each other and had known each other for many years, it would be unlikely this would be the sort of information Gareth would withhold. Despite his flat being full of designer women's clothes, Sean felt the same way Gareth's sister did. She said Gareth was a very generous person and it wouldn't surprise me if they were gifts. Gareth had bought his friend expensive gifts in the past, so this certainly came as no surprise, though Sean Jones never received footwear from Gareth. She was a UK size 3, so the size 6 and 6.5 and shoes in the flat would not have been purchased for her. The inquest would later hear from an assistant from Dover Street Market, an upmarket West London fashion store. Gareth had regularly been seen buying women's clothes, and he informed the assistant he was purchasing the items for his girlfriend who was tall and slim. On the coffee table in the flat, newspaper cuttings from The Observer dated August 15th, a day before Gareth was believed to have died, had been left out, which featured an article titled The Top 5 Regrets of the Dying. The clipping featured stories of people who had recounted their final regrets to nurses on their deathbed. A common thread of regrets echoed through the last sentiments of the dying people interviewed for the article. Some questioned why they had worked so hard when in fact they should have been spending time with their family. Others wished they dared to live a full life and be true to themselves. The lawyer for the Williams family, Anthony O'Toole, queried why authorities had placed a brand new front door and alarm system in the flat when there hadn't been any sign of a break-in. The chief investigating officer explained that there had been concerns some members of the press had tried to gain access to the property after the original front door had been removed to carry out further forensic testing. Gareth's family were of the belief that if officers had arrived at the flat sooner, vital evidence would not have been lost, so questioned why his colleagues hadn't reported his disappearance sooner. During the third day of the inquest, coroner Dr Fiona Wilcox was informed that Gareth wasn't reported missing from his role at MI6 until a week after he had gone missing. Known only by the name Witness G., Gareth's manager informed the coroner that he believed Gareth's absence was a misunderstanding as he may have been involved in other activities that his team were unaware of. On the second day of Gareth's absence, his manager phoned him, however received no response. The manager then had two days leave and with two members of his team already absent, no attempts were made at this time to contact Gareth. When Witness G returned to work on Friday, August 20th, He endeavoured to contact Gareth by email and phone, however when he received no response he visited Gareth's flat in Pimlico, used the intercom, but again received no reply. It wasn't until a week after Gareth had been absent from work that Witness G contacted a member of Gareth's family to inquire about his whereabouts. The coroner questioned Witness G to understand why action hadn't been taken sooner and was told there was nothing to indicate that Gareth was in any danger. 
Nevertheless, the witness admitted that action should have been taken sooner, stating, With hindsight, I wish I had taken different steps over that week. Jennifer Elliott, Gareth's former landlady, informed the court that sometime in 2007, she discovered Gareth tied to his bed in the early hours of the morning. Gareth had been renting an annex from both Jennifer Elliott and her husband in Cheltenham where he worked for GCHQ. Jennifer and her husband retired to bed that night and at 1.30am they heard Gareth's screams for help. Believing Gareth to be in danger, they rushed to his aid, opening his front door with a spare key. They entered to find Gareth alone in his underwear, tied to his bed. He informed his landlady that he attempted to tie himself to his bed, however the material he had used was bound so tightly that he cut his wrists and couldn't get himself free. Jennifer Elliott and her husband never informed anyone of the incident, as Gareth was very embarrassed, panicky and apologetic. In their statement they concluded that Gareth was not aroused at the time of his discovery, however his landlady believed it to be sexual rather than escapology. Gareth's personal laptop was examined during the police investigation and no work-related material was discovered. When searching his browsing history, it was noted that he had sparingly visited sites that featured bondage, sadomasochism and claustrophilia. Claustrophilia is an extreme desire for confinement in an enclosed space. During the investigation, a liaison between the intelligence agencies and the homicide unit was set up. Detective Superintendent Michael Broster, who worked for SO15, was asked during the inquest if there was any link between Gareth's death and his work, and the detective superintendent said there wasn't. SO15, otherwise known as the Counter-Terrorism Command, are a specialist unit that operates with London's Metropolitan Police Service to gather intelligence on terrorist activity and prevent any attacks being carried out. The family's lawyer, Anthony O'Toole, inquired as to whether it was possible that any of Gareth's electronic items could have been tampered with, implying his search history may have been fabricated by the Secret Service. However, was told by Michael Broster, certainly not, they're a responsible organisation. Despite the liaison officer compiling detailed notes from the interviews with intelligence witnesses, these notes were never formally signed by those being interviewed. As the notes hadn't been validated, Anthony O'Toole believed they would contain some inaccuracies. As the inquest continued, the coroner was shown footage of a yoga specialist attempting to get into a sports bag in a bath, zip it up and then padlock it from the inside. Over 100 attempts were made without success. The following week, the inquest resumed on Monday, April 30th, 2012 and details of the post-mortem were revealed, along with testimony from a number of experts in the field of forensic pathology. The degree of decomposition suggested that Gareth had been dead for 10 days before the discovery of his body, though further examination proved to be complex, as the death had occurred during the summer and the heating in the flat had been left on. Two small hairs were discovered on the back of Gareth's fingers on his right hand, though no forensic testing had been completed to identify who these might belong to. A sample of DNA had been discovered on Gareth's left hand, but this was later identified and belonged to a forensic scientist that worked the scene. Consultant forensic pathologist Dr Benjamin Swift explained to the court that the cause of death could not be ascertained due to the level of decomposition of the body though he believed the cause was most likely asphyxiation by suffocation or poisoning. Ian Calder, an independent pathologist who carried out a second post-mortem, explained that once sealed in the bag, Gareth would be overcome by carbon dioxide in two to three minutes. The independent pathologist stated Gareth would have experienced a gradual fading away with no pain and an increasing lack of awareness. A third pathologist for the Home Office, Richard Shepherd, believed that Gareth was alive when he entered the bag, either under the threat of violence or through his own volition, but the pathologist could find no evidence of physical trauma other than some minor abrasions on the tips of Gareth's elbows. As the trial continued, evidence emerged that the Secret Intelligence Service examined Gareth's possessions including nine memory sticks which were never handed over to police. The memory sticks had been placed in a locker at the MI6 offices in Vauxhall Cross. 
Jackie Sabir, the detective chief inspector leading the inquiry, was only informed of the existence of the memory sticks when they had been put into evidence during the inquest. She addressed the coroner. Had I known of their existence, I would have expected them to be at least reviewed or audited by SO15, and if information was available, then sent to my team. Michael Broster, the detective superintendent, working as the liaison officer for SO15, had been informed by MI6 that the contents of the memory sticks were not relevant to the investigation, so he took no further action. Asked by the coroner how he felt about leaving the memory sticks unexamined, Michael Broster said he was comfortable with his decision. An audible gasp was heard from the relatives of Gareth Williams who attended the inquest. The coroner addressed Michael Broster, I suggest you are not impartial in this case. An impartial investigator would have taken these exhibits and examined them themselves. A fellow officer for SO15, Detective Constable Colin Hall, who was responsible for collecting evidence, was shown a cabinet that Gareth used at the MI6 office. However, its contents could not be made public, given its sensitive nature. A holdall similar in design to the one Gareth's body was discovered in was also found under Gareth's desk, but again the contents could not be disclosed. As Gareth was an employee of GCHQ and MI6, the investigating officers were kept in the dark until the evidence or witnesses had been vetted by Gareth's employers, due to fears the disclosure of such evidence could be a risk to national security. As the inquest drew to a close, the detective chief inspector who led the inquiry, Jackie Sabir, stated that she was of the belief that a third party was involved in the death of Gareth Williams. She asked those in attendance at the inquest to search their conscience and she appealed to anyone that might know something to step forward. On May 2nd, after an eight-day inquest, the coroner, Dr Fiona Wilcox, ruled that there was not enough evidence to deliver a formal unlawful killing verdict however was almost convinced that Gareth's death was criminally mediated. The coroner believed that it was highly unlikely that Gareth got into the bag of his own volition and appeared to rule out that there was any evidence that suggested Gareth Williams had an interest in claustrophilia or any autoerotic activity. Dr Fiona Wilcox was highly critical of the role SO15 played in the investigation and criticised Gareth's employers for not reporting him missing for seven days. Many questions surrounding Gareth's death remained unanswered and the coroner believed it unlikely that the circumstances will ever be explained. After the inquest, a lawyer acting on behalf of the Williams family gave a statement outside the court. Our grief is exacerbated by the failure of his employers at MI6 to take even the most basic inquiries as to his whereabouts and welfare which any reasonable employer would have taken. We are also extremely disappointed over the reluctance and failure of MI6 to make available relevant information. The press also heard from DCI Jackie Sabir. I've always been satisfied that a third party may have been involved in his death and the coroner has confirmed that in her finding today. The inquest has raised several new lines of inquiry and the investigation will now refocus and actively pursue all the evidence heard and all the new lines of inquiry. But nevertheless, his naked body was found in the most suspicious of circumstances. It's highly likely that a third party was involved in Gareth's death. The Detective Assistant Commissioner for the Metropolitan Police, Martin Hewitt, stated he would be launching a review to understand what had occurred. The circumstances of Gareth's death are particularly complex and, the, and continue to be the subject of a thorough investigation. We have listened to the detailed ruling by the coroner and to the concerns raised by Gareth's family. We are giving both very careful consideration. As a result of specific issues raised about exhibit handling at the inquest yesterday, I have launched a review in order to understand in detail what occurred and to identify any evidential opportunities for the investigation into Gareth's death. It is important for me to stress that this has been and remains a current investigation and we are currently undertaking actions 
in order to develop existing DNA profiles to trace unidentified individuals who may have information about Gareth's death and to further develop analysis of telephone communication. A week after the inquest, Bernard Hogan Howe, the Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, ordered a forensic review of the case and expected all parties involved in the investigation to take part. When questioned by the press if MI6 or SO15 had signed up to the new review, the Commissioner replied, they don't have to sign up to it, it's called the law. At the same time, the Metropolitan Police announced a new review of the evidence was being undertaken. Footage emerged of a female reporter for the South West News Service, only a few inches shorter than Gareth, climbing into a holdall and locking it from the inside. A sergeant in the Royal Artillery, Jim Featherstonehaw, discovered the technique after reviewing the footage from the inquest. His instructions explained the person needs to climb into the bag and assume a fetal position. Once inside, they draw the zip pulls together until they are almost closed, and after pulling their legs to their chest, their hands can protrude through the gap and close the padlock. While the procedure itself is challenging to complete in an open space, it can be achieved more efficiently when inside a bathtub, as an individual can push against the sides to manoeuvre themselves. Despite this, an expert who was also filmed undertaking multiple attempts of locking himself in the holdall for the inquest told the BBC, we were fully aware of other methods of being able to lock the bag, but she or nobody could achieve it without leaving her DNA or trace on the bath, and that's the key to this. He added, none of my conclusions are wrong. A young girl zipping a bag doesn't discredit this inquiry whatsoever. As the investigation continued following the inquest in 2012, DNA profiles and further interviews were carried out on Gareth's colleagues at MI6. An article in the Telegraph newspaper published during December suggested that a source close to the investigation had every reason to believe that Gareth got in the bag himself as they had been unable to trace anyone that had been in the flat. A spokesman for the Metropolitan Police responded to the allegation stating, This remains an active investigation and officers continue to explore a number of lines of inquiry. Officers retain an open mind in relation to the circumstances surrounding the death of Mr. Williams. By the following year, the Metropolitan Police had completed their investigation and believed that Gareth had likely died alone in his flat. The investigation uncovered 10 to 15 traces of DNA throughout the property, though no new samples were found on the sports bag or the bath. There was also no evidence that a deep clean to remove any incriminating evidence had taken place. Although Detective Assistant Commissioner Martin Hewitt could not rule out the fact a third party was involved, a forensic examination concluded that there was no sign of forced entry or any DNA evidence that pointed to a third party being present at the time of Gareth's death. Martin Hewitt explained that it was theoretically possible for Gareth to lower himself into the holdall without touching the rim of the bath, but regretted that police could not definitively clarify the circumstances. Despite the coroner's belief that Gareth's death was criminally mediated, on November 13, 2013, the Detective Assistant Commissioner explained that Scotland Yard had come to a different conclusion but would be kept under review by detectives. Turn the findings of the inquest. As I said, we've had the opportunity to do two further years of investigation post the inquest, which has allowed us to look at all the evidence that was presented there and to look at new evidence and develop other lines of inquiry. Where we are, I think, is precisely where we were at the time of the inquest, where there are, as you say, gaps in our understanding and there are some pieces of evidence that tend you towards one theory more than another and there are gaps that, that contradict that. What I'm saying is that in my view after the further two years of investigation I think it is more probable that Gareth was on his own at the time of his death but that does not fundamentally overturn what the coroner said. If I had evidence that allowed me to say beyond reasonable doubt there was not a third party there then when I presented that to the coroner I have no doubt that she would have then been seeking to reopen the inquest but we don't have that evidence. Martin Hewitt goes on to detail the hurdles the Metropolitan Police faced when liaising with MI6 and GCHQ, along with the limited access they had to Gareth's vetting files. Well, I don't think I don't think that we've lost. I see no evidence that we lost any evidence in those early stages. And just to be very clear, 
in staff at GCHQ and at SIS were interviewed, but at the time of the investigation, you have to remember this is a unique set of circumstances. We have an unexplained death to investigate, and had Gareth worked for any other organisation, that would have been a relatively straightforward process. Gareth was a member of the security and intelligence agencies, and what comes with that are a number of national security implications and things that we have to be sensitive to. So we put in place an arrangement in good faith that those that are normally working with the security agencies, i.e. the Counter-Terrorism Command, would act as an intermediary for the senior investigator. And that process, so it was SO15 officers that were working directly with those in SIS and in GCHQ and to the, the request of the or to the requirements of the SIO. Clearly what came out at the inquest made us have a very hard look at that and I undertook that review and decided that that arrangement was not the best arrangement for us so we moved to the new arrangement which has been in place for the last two years where we had our SIO again from our Homicide and Serious Crime Command but this time the individual vetted and having direct access to whatever was required and the team, uh, the team working within the major inquiry team conducting all the interviews and taking all the statements so we removed that intermediary I don't think that that actually lost us any evidence in the first instance, but I just think it wasn't, it wasn't the best arrangement that we could have come to, and we recognised that and we changed it. As far as the vetting and personnel files are concerned, the first important point to make is there was nothing of any relevance to the circumstances of Gary's death that we found in those. They were requested by the original SIO, and she put that request through SO15, which was the arrangement. They were viewed by SO15, who took the decision that there was nothing relevant, and that was passed back. When the new SIO took over under the new arrangements, he decided he wanted to personally go and look at those files. That access was granted, and he drew precisely the same conclusion, i.e. there was nothing there that gave him any relevance to Gareth, the circumstances of Gareth's death. The Detective Assistant Commissioner then went on to explain how the Metropolitan Police concluded that Gareth locked himself in the sports bag come to that conclusion because we've seen a number of demonstrations that that is possible and I think it's really important again to say that the inquest accepted that it was theoretically possible if not probable was I think the, the language so this has never been in a place where everyone says it is entirely impossible and I'm not saying that it would be easy and I'm not saying that everybody could do it but really the line you have to get to is that theoretically this is possible to do and and that's where we are and I think that does put you into a, it, it opens up different options for you and certainly challenges options that said there had to be a third party present. We talk about experts and I mean we don't, I don't think there are actually experts in locking yourself in a bag. People are looking at a, a set of circumstances, drawing some conclusions from their own experience but I can't account categorically for the lack of that DNA there but equally there are other there are other aspects around this which we've already spoken about that you can't account for but but I it, it would appear you would say it would be logical that that would be there but there is none of Gareth's DNA on that uh, on that padlock that's the fact and and what I have to deal with is the facts and then from those facts you you make whatever logical inferences you can. Martin Hewitt was finally asked about his relationship with Gareth Williams's family as they favoured the coroner's opinion on the matter of his death. I would say that my relationship with Gareth Wynn's family is very good. I sat with his family uh, two weeks ago with the coroner present and we all discussed the findings of our report. That was an incredibly emotional meeting and sitting opposite three people for whom this is incredibly raw still three years down the line is, is very impactive. They choose to take that view, and that's entirely right, because i come back to, if I had the evidence to conclusively say there was not a third party, then we would have presented that evidence and we would be in a different place. The key factor for me around all the theories is that I, on the basis of the facts that we have, I find it very difficult to understand that there is no identifiable trace of that third party being in that premises. I, from my experience and through the science and the facts, it's very difficult for me to accept that someone would be there when they've left very little or no trace at all of their presence. So that's why I tend there. But as I say, the Garris family have a right to make the inferences from the facts and they have all the facts that we have and we've sat down and shared that with them. 
um, we are working still on some of the forensic um, evidence that we've had. I spoke about the fact that we have DNA traces that are not yet sufficient as profiles to be matched. Forensic science moves on. As with every serious case, we will, we will review this, uh, periodically review this. And of course, if anybody came forward with any new information around the circumstances of Gary's death, then clearly we would investigate that. In response to the findings by the Metropolitan Police, the Williams family put forward a statement. We are naturally disappointed that it is still not possible to state with certainty how Gareth died and the fact that the circumstances of his death are still unknown adds to our grief. We note that the investigation has been conducted with further interviews upon some of the witnesses who gave evidence at the inquest and that the investigation team were at last able to interview directly members of GCHQ and SIS. We consider that on the basis of the facts at present known, the coroner's verdict accurately reflects the circumstances of Gareth's death. So where are we now? During the start of autumn 2015, numerous articles appeared in newspapers both online and in print which stated that a Russian double agent working within GCHQ attempted to recruit Gareth Williams into the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service otherwise known as SVR. It was alleged this double agent befriended Gareth and tried to blackmail him after his trip to America. On his travels, Gareth's drink was allegedly spiked and after passing out he was photographed in a variety of compromising positions. Along with details of Gareth's private life, the photos were then used to blackmail him so he would pass confidential information onto the Russian intelligence service. Allegedly, after being confronted, Gareth did not bend to the will of those seeking to blackmail him, so he was killed as he was aware of a mole in GCHQ. The method used to kill Gareth was said to have been an untraceable poison through a needleless injection in his ear. His body was then placed in the holdall. Despite these statements being made by Boris Karpichkov, a former intelligence officer for the KGB who also lives in the Pimlico area, there is no evidence to support any of his claims. The circumstances of Gareth Williams' death currently remains a mystery. He was an exceptionally gifted individual and brilliant mathematician. However, his death left one final puzzle that may never be solved. Thank you for listening and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. The music for this episode was provided by Red Point. That's one word, and their music can be found on Bandcamp. For just $3 a month, you can support They Walk Among Us and receive ad-free access to episodes directly through the Apple Podcast app four days before they are available on our public feed. Just head to patreon.com forward slash they walk among us for more details you can follow us on twitter at twau underscore podcast or follow us on instagram and facebook under they walk among us podcast When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.